passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome to Lake Kick on the Air. It is Thursday night, May 27th, the year of our Lord, 2021. You hear the voice. It's coming. It's going. Here's the situation. We've had no rain in Nashville for a little while now. And therefore, I've sneezed to such a degree that I have about eh, 35% of a voice. I'm going to give you, or at least try to 100% of a show tonight, because we are no less jam-packed than we always would be. We got to talk about tampering. Yeah, the T word. Remember that? First made popular on, oh, I don't know, this show last year. Not to brag, but we're going to kind of have to a little bit tonight. And also talk about how the transfer portal has another unintended consequence. And uh, yeah, it's really deep and it's really far-spreading. Alex Scarborough over at ESPN did a really good job, so we're going to talk about that. Also, more questions for several of the Power Five conferences. We're not even close to done with that. We've got more impact freshmen. We're not even close to done with that yet. And also, speaking of the transfer portal, how about Auburn? TJ Finley, former LSU starting quarterback. In fact, you saw him start on the road at Auburn last year. Well, now he is an Auburn Tiger, and this is one of those quarterback situations that I want you to pay attention to, because you may think to yourself, Okay, so he's going to talk about Auburn, so that doesn't impact me. Oh, you never know. You, I, would just, I would just stick around and listen to that segment because, number one, it's going to apply to a lot of programs if it hasn't already in the future, and this is going to be one of those ripple effect deals because chances are not all the quarterbacks on that roster will be there this time next year, which could immediately impact your program. Remember, and I always put this at the front end and then don't say it again the rest of the show, the Instagram and Twitter accounts are growing at a very good pace, and I thank you for that. At Late Kick Josh is where you want to be. Instagram and Twitter, same handle. Uh, but also, and this is where the great big all caps thank you comes in. I could have Director Emeritus Colin just build a separate graphic, just a little thank you, maybe a little party hat on top of it. When you guys are sharing our stuff and you're screenshotting that, you're putting in that Instagram story or on Twitter, I share and retweet a lot of them, but I can't even get to all of them. It's just a small fraction of what you guys are doing for us now. So I can't give you specifics because I think it's against my contract to just give you inner workings of the company. It matters, and it's helping us. It's helping the show. It's helping me. It's helping you. It's helping the show. So thank you so much for that. With that in mind, let's dive into tonight's show. Tampering, you say. Tampering. What does that word have to do with college football? Well, everything. Well, well, well are the three words that I thought when I read this really good, informative, deep-diving feature from Alex Scarborough on ESPN.com a couple of days ago, and I've taken a couple of days to marinate on this. There are a lot of changes always happening in life and in college football. Some changes are like if you were to take a stone and you toss it in a lake. Yeah, there's a ripple effect. You could tell something just went in the water, but by and large, it's not a big deal. Then other changes are like when an asteroid hits the ocean. 
And it affects everything. It affects the entire planet. I've seen Armageddon. I've seen Deep Impact. Same year, by the way. Crazy how that works. So what is this? Well, the transfer portal is the asteroid. And what happened was when the transfer portal really became a thing, transfers were always a thing, but when the portal really became a thing, you thought to yourself, or maybe you thought to yourself, I don't want to put words in your mouth, oh, good, kids can transfer. Hey, I got no problem with that. Most of the coaches mentioned or directly quoted in the story I'm about to talk about, they have no problem with that. Most of them just openly say, it's not the transferring I have a problem with. But as we said, and there's another couple of points I want to point out that we said last year, when this started to happen, there are going to be some unintended consequences. We're just going to have to deal with it. You can't take all this good and not get any of the bad that comes in the door with it. So two years, well, really last year, I guess it's time runs together now. Last year, around this time, actually, when we were talking about the transfer portal, I did a segment and I told you a couple of things, among others, were coming as a result of the transfer portal. One was you were used to hearing about high school scouting departments in a college football program. That's just recruiting. They've always had that. But I told you that more and more we were hearing from coaching staffs and people on the road in the recruiting world, colleges, college football programs are developing their own separate college scouting department inside the infrastructure of their program. What does that mean? To put a finer point on it, it meant even last year and before that, to be honest with you, college staffs were preparing to scout other college football teams, not for the purposes of game planning, but for the purposes potentially of recruiting, or as you know it, the transfer portal, because now college players move very freely and very often from one program to the other. The second thing I told you, and this was going to be the more important part, is the NCAA has no prayer of policing this. I don't care what rule you write. You can write all the rules or laws in society. If there was a law against something but you knew they weren't going to enforce it, would you be scared to do it? Of course you wouldn't. And it's the same way right now. Tampering is a big problem. Tampering just means when you got a player on your team and he's a sophomore, that used to be the end of the game for me. Once they're in high school and they commit to a place, we're done. You know, there's a 99% chance I'll never really interact with him. But now things have changed. I got some quotes I'm going to read you in just a second. So I want to really preface this and get this quote out of the way or get this statement out of the way because I know that even as I utter this statement, I'm going to have some ignorance in the comments. I know this is America. That's point one. And number two, I know kids are free to transfer and I'm not against transferring. I'm all for it. There's no law being broken or rule being broken when a kid transfers. They're free to do it. They should be free to do it. I want to state that, and then I'm going to bet you $5 that by the end of this video, in the comment section, someone comes down there and says, oh, what, you think these kids should just be chained to a program and never be able to go where they want to? No, I don't think that, sir or ma'am. No, I don't. But what's the crux of the issue here? As I said, the crux is not coaches being upset that kids are transferring. They may not be happy about it. But that's not what they're trying to stand in the way of. The big problem is tampering and other coaching staffs interfering with the guys on their roster. Now, you can see why that would upset a college coach to know that, you know, a defensive backs coach or a quality control guy from a rival or maybe someone from another conference is messing with kids on their roster. So this ESPN feature piece, you can still find it on ESPN.com from Alex Scarborough. It quoted several coaches, and I'm about to read you some of them, but A prominent high school coach who was anonymous, so we can only guess who this is, said that he estimates up to 60% of college staffs are taking part in this kind of behavior. Now, I think that's a little bit high, but I'll get back to that in a second. 
but I want to remind you, why would a high school coach have something to say about this? Well, the high school coaches, friends, are the ones in a lot of cases who are used as the go-between. Because it's not always as simple as if I'm coaching running backs at Texas Tech and I want to talk to a kid at Baylor, I just pick up the phone and call the kid at Baylor. That's not the way it happens. The way it happens is maybe I call his trainer or maybe I call his high school coach, case in point here, or maybe I remember his cousin or I've established contact with his aunt from recruiting. Or maybe, and this is what's happening a lot, you can read about this in this feature, Maybe there's some kids on my roster that played high school ball with that kid, and they're the ones that I use. So all these things are happening. I don't buy the 60% now. I do want to say that. I don't think it's quite 60% of college programs who are doing this, but I think the number is plenty substantial enough to where it's gotten a lot of attention and it's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. The problem here is the policing aspect. No one thinks the NCAA is capable of doing a thing about this. Here's the bottom line. When it comes to tampering in college football, the sport's going to have to police itself. Because I was listening to some of the quotes and reading some of the quotes in this feature. Eli Drinkwitz. Here's a quote from Eli. What kind of ferociousness is behind the enforcement if you have people on tape admitting to violations and they're still actively coaching? Here's Sonny Dykes at SMU. You want people in the sport to be ethical enough where they don't fall prey to that, but you got to win and you got a high-pressure job And you have all these things, and then all of a sudden you look and you go, oh, they didn't punish anyone, and they're not going to punish me, so why not? Let me translate that for you. We don't believe the NCAA is capable of taking a leak without getting the front of its pants wet. They're certainly not capable of enforcing this. And our evidence is they got folks on tape in another sport talking about openly paying kids to come play for said school, and they did nothing about it. So they got federal wiretaps and that's really not producing any kind of punishment, then why would we believe that they're going to be capable of enforcing this? And they're right. No college coach believes the NCAA is capable of enforcing this, but a lot of college coaches are rubbed the wrong way about it. You got some bad actors. I still believe, contrary to the number that was in this report, a majority are in the right here, and a majority would much rather see a sport where it's totally clean. Maybe they're participating in it because they feel like they have to, to keep up. What's the answer? The answer is not the NCAA. It rarely is in college athletics. The answer is going to be at the conference level. you got to get your you-know-what together at the conference level, and conference commissioners have an extra weapon in their holster that the NCAA does not have. It's called TV money. Greg Sankey in Birmingham, Alabama, has got TV money in his pocket. And so if you get your 14 head coaches together and you guys agree, we don't want this, well, then all of a sudden the SEC doesn't need the NCAA. The SEC can decide how it wants to handle the distribution of its TV money. And so what about removing the NCAA to a degree from this equation? Greg Sankey, just as an example, as the SEC commissioner says, I got this TV money that we distribute to you guys evenly every year, 20, 30, 40, whatever million dollars. You want to see your revenue pie cut? Let us catch you tampering. Forget about the folks in Indianapolis. You need to worry about the sheriff in Birmingham. Because if you guys agree that you want a clean sport and you want tampering to be removed and you don't want to have to worry about it, just give me the power. Give me the say-so, and I'll hold that TV money over the heads of your programs. And if you violate this rule, then you're losing that bag for the year. Guess what would all of a sudden happen? What would all of a sudden happen is no one would be looking at the NCAA saying, weak, ineffective. All of a sudden, they'd look and say, "Uh uh-oh, the burden of proof 
that the SEC needs may be a little bit different. The investigatory power or manner in which the conference were to go about this may be a little bit different. I need to be careful here. So I think only when the conferences get together at their level and decide that they're going to police themselves will you have any kind of legitimate answer to tampering. Because otherwise, it's going to go unchecked. I can promise you if you're waiting on the NCAA, it's going to go unchecked. But I do want to point out before we move on here, guys like Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and Sam Pittman, they made another good point. Luke Fickle and Sam Pittman were, among others, on record in this piece by Alex Scarborough as saying, you know what? What this has shown us, even though we don't endorse tampering, is that the programs that are dead honest in the initial stages of recruiting a kid don't have to worry about this stuff as much because kids don't get on campus and find out I'm not getting what I was promised. You didn't get the hook in my lip by any means necessary in my high school days to get me on campus. And so, you know, you largely have given me what you promised me. I'm far less opt to be gruntled because or I'm far less opt to be disgruntled is what I want to say because of that. So be honest, takes care of a lot of issues. Just be honest. This is a problem. It's not going away. Conferences, not the NCAA, are going to have to fix it and self-police. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We got a lot of questions in a lot of conferences out there. This is kind of part two, and I don't know how many parts of series we're going to have on this, but let's just bounce around some Power Five conferences and let's talk about big questions. Hey, here's one, I guess two in the SEC. Will South Carolina and or Tennessee make a bowl game? Team win totals came out the other day. Tennessee was at six and South Carolina was at four. And so obviously we're trying to get to that magical six number to make a bowl game. You are not always what your record says you are in college. I've been doing some radio hits, and this has been sort of a popular phrase to come out of my mouth, especially when I'm talking about Carolina, but it really applies to Tennessee, too. You get a new coaching staff in, and everyone wants to talk about year one, what should the expectations be, year one, what would success look like? Well, let me ask you something. Does it really come down to a win-loss record to determine, let me finish, to determine how good your program has been year one and how promising the future looks after that year one. And you may say, yeah, sports is all about wins and losses. That's really what it comes down to. 
I understand in any given year, yes, that's where we're keeping score. But if I'm looking at 2021 and trying to measure my expectations for 22, 23, and beyond based on this outcome, let me kick you two scenarios. You tell me what would be more promising. You go six and six, but your six losses are all by double digits, or you go five and seven, but all seven losses are by one possession. What's more promising for the future? One gets you to a ball game. The other probably doesn't, but you give me the five and seven with one possession losses all day as it relates to planning my future. So I, I, I'm trying to say all that as a, a frame of reference that it's not the end-all be-all to make a bowl. I'd much rather have close game losses than six and six with a bunch of blowouts. But having said that, I think it's a really good and I think a tangible goal, maybe a little bit further reaching for Carolina than for Tennessee, to make a bowl game in year one of these regimes. Of course, you get the extra practices, blah, blah, blah. You can sell it on the recruiting trail. So let's just fingers cross for the Vols and the Gamecocks there. In the Big Ten, got to look at Penn State. Can James Franklin get his team to start fast? Because remember last year, it snowballed really quickly. They had some games that if you were to just look at the box scores, that Indiana game comes to mind, for example. You look at the box score and you say, how in the world did Penn State lose this game? It looks like they dominated everywhere, literally, but the final score. Unfortunately, the final score is what counts. Always has, always will. And then things snowball. So this year, how do you fix that? How do you make sure things don't snowball? Well, you never allow the snowball to be built. That's how. Then it doesn't get kicked downhill. Doubt is going to linger as long as Penn State lets it linger in 2021. And it's natural. I may have all the confidence in the world in them, but the bottom line is they got to get it done on the field to validate any of that confidence. There is doubt from 2020, and they got to completely erase it. And the only way to do that is a fast start. By mid-October, Penn State will have played at Wisconsin versus Auburn at home versus Indiana at home and at Iowa. They need to win three of those four. Fast start, imperative for Penn State. At Florida State, I've got some growing confidence about the Seminoles, both now and in the future. Is the transfer portal going to pay off for Florida State this year? Because I think they could potentially be set up to be one of the best stories in college football if, for example, a guy like Mackenzie Milton ends up panning out and ends up being healthy, therefore the starting quarterback in all likelihood. I mean, that could be an insane story as we watch 2021 unfold. They took six different transfers that we have rated in the top 100 of our transfer portal rankings. That's not the end. They took more than six. They got six of them ranked in the top 100. And aside from Milton, a guy like Jermaine Johnson, for example, I look at him and I wonder, could he end up doing what Brenton Cox did? Brenton Cox left and went to Florida. I mean, is now a staple of the Florida defense. Could Jermaine Johnson be that? He immediately adds a really good pass rush presence there. Andrew Parchment comes in, is the most experienced and easily the most productive wide receiver in that room. He's a godsend for that wide receiver room. So, of course, we're not looking long-term to just build a program off the transfer portal at Florida State. I mean, I love where they're going in high school recruiting right now, but that doesn't help them in 2021. So I think that they certainly, it's, it, it's easy to see the plan at Florida State. No one's looking around saying, what are we doing? Everyone gets what they're doing. Now let's see if it pays off. Is it realistic to expect Iowa State to improve this year? The best news for Iowa State is the head coach there is Matt Campbell. And when your head coach is really good at developing and evaluating, then what happens is you get every ounce of potential out of pretty much every kid on your roster. And every one of them seem to either meet 
or exceed expectation level you had for when they came in. But here can be the downside, which isn't really a negative. You just have to calibrate your perspective. A lot of times, once they've been on campus a couple of years, they are who they're going to be as a player. Iowa State does not have a lot of four- and five-star talent on their roster. Therefore, you're not going to get a bunch of superstar, future pro-level production of guys spiking their junior and senior year. That's not what's going to be the norm there. Their, their sum is going to always be greater than what the individual parts indicate they should be. they got a lot of returning starters. It's preview magazine season. So the preview magazines are going to tell you, well, because they have this many returning starters, it just automatically means they are, what? They could be exactly who they were last year. What if they just can't get any better? What if, in other words, that coaching staff is so good that they had so thoroughly developed all these guys and they so thoroughly wrung every ounce of potential out of that team that what we saw last year is the maximum capability. And by the way, it was good enough to go to the Big 12 championship game, be right there with Oklahoma, a superior roster team, in the fourth quarter, and then go to the Fiesta Bowl and beat the Pac-12 champion in Oregon. It was a great year. It was a phenomenal, historic year for Iowa State. So when I say, what if they're not capable of anything more than that, if they duplicate last year, it's incredible. What I'm saying is, I just want to be careful here, assuming that because you have X number of returning starters, it just has to mean you get better. No, it doesn't. We hope it does. Selfishly, I really hope it does for Iowa State. But I'm looking right now, what would I make the game if they were to play Oklahoma today? They don't play until late in the year. Uh, That game's in Norman. I got Oklahoma by eight. That's what our raw numbers have. Uh, Those will adjust, but that's what our raw numbers are. So I'm just willing to see, or I'm really interested, and of course willing to see, is there something different they do? In other words, did Matt Campbell and his staff get to the end of the line last year and say, we got all these guys coming back. We see the separation. Like We see where we are and where they are. How far do we need to go? How could we possibly accomplish that? And sometimes you don't stand pat. Sometimes you make changes. I just don't know what changes they would make. So that's going to be something to really keep an eye on. In the Pac-12, I think the Pac-12 South is going to be the most fascinating division race in college football. It may not be the absolute highest level football being played, but I think it's really going to be competitive. I think there are four teams in that division who I could easily see winning this thing. The problem is they don't play equal schedules. So I don't necessarily know that I can guarantee, oh, the best team's going to win that thing. Team win totals came out the other day, as I said. Utah, over under eight and a half. UCLA is at seven, for reasons I'm about to state. USC, nine. Arizona State, nine. If USC does not win the Pac-12 South, even I'll tell you, you got to hit the dump button. You got to clean house. The schedule comparison here in what I think is going to be an ultra-competitive division in the Pac-12 South so heavily tilts towards USC, it's not even funny. It's the only team out of the four that I believe have a shot at winning that division that does not play Oregon. They don't play Washington. Also, they get Arizona State sandwiched very nicely between two winnable games. Meanwhile, they look across town. UCLA has the following stretch. Arizona State, then they go to Arizona, Wildcats off a bye, then they go to Washington versus Oregon, and then what? Like, what in the world? It's not equal, is what I'm saying. And so I look at the win totals, and you say, ooh, UCLA's only seven. Well, that's because they got to play that. And oh, by the way, they also have to play LSU at the beginning of the year. Uh, UCLA plays Utah somewhere in there, too, obviously. So I just, I look at that division, and Arizona State, I mean, they could be 
a really good story this year, but they could also go seven and five. There's wild variance. So that's going to be a really fun division to watch. All right, I want to just tiptoe our way into a really, really good transfer portal story here. But it's not about the portal per se, it's about Auburn. So TJ Fenley, a couple of days ago, made it official. He transferred from LSU to Auburn. And he was quoted during the process and after arriving at Auburn saying things along the lines of, hey, I'm not coming there to be a backup. Now, people who are competitive and who have played sports didn't even pay attention to it. People who didn't looked at that and said, oh my goodness, bulletin board material. Not so much. No one in the history of this game has ever laced up a chin strap to not start. Everyone wants to start. I mean, that's, that's why you play sports. It's what a competitive fire is all about. It doesn't mean he's going to win the job. It means he's coming in to try and win the job. Can he win the job? Yeah, he can. Will he? Well, that's what the summer's for. And I want to stress something. There are going to be a lot of folks out there. I got Auburn buddies blowing my phone up. I've heard every theory under the sun. And everyone thinks they got it figured out. Brian Harson doesn't know who's going to start at quarterback for him. Mike Bobo does not know who's going to start at quarterback for Auburn. And I'm not talking about the possibility of injury. I'm talking about Bo Nix not taking this job by the throat. It's early in a new regime, so that's understandable. There's a lot of backing up to do with Bo Nix from the neck up, probably, before they can go forward with him. But there are many possibilities. I'm going to list some of them here that could end up playing themselves out. I don't think anyone knows. Someone inevitably is going to guess right, and then they're going to say, I called this way back in the spring. No, you didn't. You just guessed right. It's like no one has the inside track on what the power ball is going to be tonight. Someone will probably end up guessing it right. So let's talk about what could happen here. One scenario is Bo Nix, who is the established starter, and TJ Finley, they battle for the job. Bo Nix wins the job, but Finley keeps in mind, as we need to, he has five years to play four. So it's not a a make or break in year one for TJ Finley, but this all depends on where his head's at. Because T.J. Finley could be a guy who's coming in and, for all we know, saying to himself, I'm going to be the starter there. And if I don't win that job, I'm going to have a decision to make. Or T.J. Finley could be a guy saying, I'm headed to this island and I'm burning the ships behind me. So it's Auburn for me. Let me get, unlike Reuben Foster, let me get the tattoo on my forearm and then follow through on it. And this is just where I'm going to be. Let the chips fall where they may. That could happen. Could be a scenario. It also could be that this job's undecided when we enter camp, and it's undecided when we exit camp. And it could be that Brian Harson, they're sitting there the, the week of the first game saying, let's see, Akron and Alabama State, the first two weeks of the year. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like two more weeks of fall camp. That's what it sounds like. So let's ultimately let this thing play out on the field because we don't see enough separation in these guys, which I think in and of itself would say a lot about Bo Nix. But having said that, you still got to pick a guy. This is not preferable for obvious reasons. You want to pick a quarterback. You want to be riding one into battle come time to play in week one. Doesn't always work out that way. Teams have won titles before when the quarterback situation wasn't decided in week one. But nevertheless, I don't think that's the way they want to go. Now, here's another one that could happen. T.J. Finley could just flat out win the job. Uh, This would be the most interesting to me because then we wouldn't be asking, well, what's Finley going to do now that he lost the job? We'd be asking, now what's Bo Nix going to do since he lost the job? Because we could sit there and talk all, all we want to about whether T.J. Finley's going to stick around if the more likely scenario plays out, and that's Bo Nix winning the job. But uh, has anyone stopped to think about what Bo Nix would do if he lost this job? Because the key here, and what we can't really fully know, 
is the opinion of Brian Harson is obviously going to carry the most weight, and the opinion of Mike Bobo is going to carry a lot of weight. And we don't know how they really feel. We have press conferences to go on, but everyone talks good in press conferences. We don't know if maybe they got to the end of spring and they did a healthy inventory of what they had just seen, and they said to themselves, we don't have a quarterback, man, so let's go do whatever we can in the portal, and we're going to open this thing up like both of them just walked on campus. And at that point, any kind of handicapping you've done on this and leaning towards Bo Nix because, hey, he, he's just always been there or he's already been there, all that's out the window. So we don't know. There, there are no favorites being played here, in other words. No one's got necessarily the inside track just because they've been on campus. I mean, they've got a few weeks that they've worked with Bo Nix more than they will have worked with T.J. Finley. That's really what it boils down to. I also just want to remind you that this matters one year from now as well. A lot of the Auburn folks, I was over on the Auburn undercover board, and I knew the name Demetrius Davis was going to come up immediately, as it should. Because here's another scenario. You just pick a name to win the quarterback battle this year. Chances are Davis is going to be ready to be the quarterback. And let me put a finer point on it. Chances are a year from now, Demetrius Davis is going to be ready to be the starting quarterback for Auburn. And at that point, what are we looking at? If T.J. Finley wins this job, I mean, after this year, he'll have three more years to play. So what are we doing this time next year? Of course, we're having a competition is the easy answer. But what are we doing? Because Demetrius Davis, I'm going to tell you right now, I think he's got more upside than any quarterback they have on their roster. He's just young. He's probably come in. I hesitate to say raw because when you listen to the feedback about him out of Texas, in high school ball out there, he did a lot of good things. You go watch his film. He's got really good pocket awareness, excellent touch on the ball, got good enough arm strength even as a true freshman, and the intangibles are off the charts. That's the kind of guy that's going to be ready to play for Auburn this time, a year from now. And so whether this shakes out Bo Nix or TJ Finley, I got my eye on what it does to the roster a year from now because you want competitors, and no coach out there worth his salt is going to turn away a competition to appease and massage the feelings and ego of a quarterback that they think will start from them maybe a year from now, two years from now. Because if he's got the right mentality, he probably won't go anywhere. That's what they're going to think. Does it play out like that? Now, my gut, if you were to nail me down, and no one can right now because it's May, my gut says Bo Nix wins this job. I think he's the best quarterback at the moment, even with the addition of Finley. It's going to be popular to talk T.J. Finley up. It's going to be popular to knock Bo Nix, if you haven't already, over the next couple of months. I think Bo Nix is a better quarterback. I think he's got better tools. I think he's got better intangibles. So I think he's got the things that they're going to need in the most abundant supply. But it's not like there's a gulf between he and T.J. Finley. In fact, there's not a wide gap. I just think it's going to be Nix's job. I have spoken to someone who indicated Harson at least felt that much coming out of spring. But again, you really don't know. It could be that they view this as a game changer, reset button. So let's keep a close eye on that Auburn quarterback battle because the reason I was talking about other programs is who knows. I do know one thing. The likelihood, if Vegas were to put odds on all three of those quarterbacks still being on this roster when the 2022 season starts, the odds wouldn't be good. So by the very nature of those odds, it stands to reason one of these guys may be in the portal this time next year and may be coming to your program and may change the trajectory of your program. So keep an eye on this because no longer are these position battles at quarterback just isolated to mattering for that team. I wanted to wrap up tonight with some impact freshmen. Because, boy, we got five powerhouse names here. And so let's run down this list. Leonard Taylor 
isn't Miami. This was a huge recruiting win for the Canes. Cannot overstate it. This is the kind of guy that had been escaping South Florida and going to Ohio State, Clemson, or Alabama, and Miami kept him home. This was the number 10 overall player. He's a defensive tackle. Now, I want to stress to you, this is probably not a guy, speaking of Alabama, since that's who Miami opens with, this is not a guy that you just absolutely are going to have to see on the field for Miami when they take the field in week one. Miami's got good enough depth along the defensive line, specifically at Taylor's position, where they would love for him to be a part of this rotation, but it's not totally required for them to have a shot to win. But it could be one of those classic week one versus week seven things. Maybe he's not a starter in week one. Maybe he sees rotational action first few weeks. But then you fast forward to week seven, and there he is. Because you wait for the click. With guys like this, who you know have three and out talent, you don't look down the road and say, oh, we'll redshirt him this year. We'll use his extra year. You're trying to get him on the field. As soon as you can trust him, you get him on the field, and you wait for that click. And you listen to coaches all the time, and they'll talk about how you know, about week five or week six in practice, it just, he started to grasp it mentally and he was already there physically. And so who knows, maybe Leonard Taylor's there in week one at some point this year. Uh, He's not an early enrollee. It should be noted. So at some point this year, may take a little bit longer, but I think you'll see him on the field. I want to go with two names at North Carolina. One of them is Keyshawn Silver. The other is Javari Ritzy. We've talked about both of these guys within the context of North Carolina already. They're both defensive ends. They both came in this last cycle, obviously, for Mac Brown and company. Silver was the number 30 overall player in the country. He was a five-star. Ritzy was top 150. He was a four-star. Jay Bateman's a defensive coordinator there, and he was not hesitant in spring ball to say, I'd be supremely disappointed if at least one of them is not starting for us, and I think both of them, uh, candidly, will end up playing, if not starting, really good minutes for, for North Carolina this year. I remember Steve Wilfong, when we were watching different spring stuff, he texted me one day and said, those two dudes look like they play for Alabama. That's the kind of true freshman Alabama brings in. And you look at him, and he's right. This is sort of like an an Oklahoma-Atlantic Coast type deal. Oklahoma was dreadful defensively, and they had to fix themselves through recruiting. And it's been a couple of years process now, but now we see a result where Oklahoma, we, myself included, we believe they're good enough defensively to win a title. Well, North Carolina's having to do that same kind of overhaul. Mac Brown inherited a very thin defensive roster, literally and figuratively. You got to get depth and you got to get size. And these dudes have both of them. These aren't guys that you got to get in the weight room for a year and a half before you could realistically put them on the field and expect them to stand up. Tim Cross, who coaches that position, Uh, There was a really good number here. Chris Hummer put this in the piece that I drew this from. They played 10 interior and edge linemen last year, 180 snaps or more. They rotate out of necessity, but also out of choice. They rotate. And so I think both of these guys you're going to see on the field. These are difference makers now. These guys end up changing the course of games. How about Kalen King? He is the exact same way, but he's a corner, and he's at Penn State. He was number 234 overall. The Penn State staff was blown away. When he got there in spring, he was early enrollee. He went through the whole deal. He led the team in takeaways during the spring. Every time they had an open scrimmage or practice, he popped. James Franklin called him the most advanced true freshman that they've had since they've been there. And Franklin's been there for a little while now. And they've had some good players come through there. This is big, though. Because if you look at the way you know the sport and the game is shifting, you got to have high-level corner play, defensive back play, but corner play... Because of the kinds of guys, think about the kinds of guys you're going to face with Ohio State. 
Well, I mean, you put guys like Kalen King out there, you'd like to clone him to face Ohio State, but you put guys like that out there, you put yourself in a really good position to challenge folks like Ohio State, teams like Ohio State. So Kalen King, man, it's a matchup. Oh, he's going to be really fun to watch because he's the kind of guy that comes in and gets the same kind of hype as Derek Stingley did as a true freshman at LSU. Stingley was higher rated, but man, it, it matters. What, what are you as a player? Who are you as a player? Kalen King is going to be a player from day one, year one for Penn State. And Adani Mitchell is another name, a wide receiver for Georgia. Now, this is a guy who was off the recruiting radar for a lot of you. He was number 381 overall. But I've listened to Kirby Smart talk, and I've talked to another person close to their program. This was always a guy that they trusted their evaluation on, and they just had higher on their board than most other staffs did, and even we did at 24-7. And he had a really good spring, but the week before their spring game is when it really started to click for him. And then he shined in the spring game. And this is with the backdrop of George Pickens being out. So everyone's watching the Georgia spring game. A lot of other receivers were out too. And all of a sudden you see, who is that? Uh, Where is he at? Adani Mitchell. I'm looking at my team roster here. I didn't expect to hear much from him this year. Well, change the expectation level is all I can tell you. Because he's going to be a factor. He's one of several kids that went out to California recently with JT Daniels, get some work in. You want to collect as many of these guys as possible. Now, I'm not telling Georgia fans anything they don't already know, but I think sometimes if you already got a a full, not loaded, let's just say full position group, you say, oh, what's one more? It could be everything, especially at wide receiver. What you're trying to do is accumulate and collect as many different skill sets as possible. And Mitchell brings a skill set that maybe you don't have, and it could be the difference in a one-possession game. It could be the one or two plays could be the difference and he may have that skill set on that third and seven to make that specific kind of play happen you can never have too many of them never and so I, he came on late in spring uh, he's he's in the road I think he's going to be in the rotation this fall for him so these are some true freshmen we still got a long way to go on this list by the way but these are some more true freshmen that if you want to own this sport you're going to bet this sport these are the kinds of names you cannot lean on the preview magazines to inform you about because they don't hardly know anything about them that's the big that's the big blind spot in preview culture people don't know what to expect from freshmen so they lean on the returning guys well there are going to be a lot of true freshmen who are impact players this year i just gave you some of them we're not done with that as i said we are done with this show though because uh, we got to get out of here thank you so much for joining us we're headed into a, a memorial day weekend so whatever you're doing remember the spf and remember to be safe out on there on the uh, water for director emeritus colin for Jesse and company in Connecticut. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Thanks so much for watching the show and listening to the show. Have yourselves a great weekend and God bless. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.